Swamiji, Yogananda spoke about attunement and recommended strongly that we develop attunement. What is that? You know, it's a very interesting thing. In the Bible, it says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. In the churches, in public, Master talked about the techniques, he talked about principles and so on. He didn't talk about attunement. But when he was with us disciples, he talked more about attunement than anything else. And he said that um, that's the most important thing for a disciple. The thing is that you can't get out of your ego by your own efforts. It's like trying to lift yourself up by, uh, by pulling on your hair. You can't do it. There's a, a series of stories in German about a Baron Münchhausen, and he lifted his horse up above a, a something or other by lifting his hair. It can't be done, of course. And he was just telling lots of lies. Well, the thing is that to attune yourself to the guru, you have ego consciousness, and everything you do will in some way be tainted by that ego consciousness. <clears throat> but in attunement with a guru, and this is the most important reason for having a guru, it's not his teaching. Some gurus don't even speak. They're monis, and yet they are true gurus. His purpose is to help you by your attunement with him to lift you into another state of consciousness, an egoless state of consciousness. I know that one disciple, Daniel Boone, that rather incredible name, but it was really, really his name. Anyway, I remember him saying one time, well, I don't want to give my will to him completely. I've got my own uh, personality and so on. And Yogananda, I mentioned this to Yogananda, just trying to, wanting to see what he'd say about it. And he said that he, he's not free as long as he thinks in terms of personality. You, you develop freedom, but you don't become a carbon copy of the guru. What he does is give you the power. That's what it says in the Bible. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. So he gives you that power to rise above ego consciousness. He gives you a new view of reality, which is not ego conscious. It's interesting, too. I was reading a book that uh, Catherine Kairavi wrote, Two Souls, Four Lives, just yesterday. And in that, she's talking about Henry, I mean, William the Conqueror and his son, Henry. I, I feel that I was Henry. But she talks about how historians think of William and Henry as being very arrogant, uh, unfeeling, and... Uh, uh, self-righteous and so on, that's because people think that you have to have a personality. You have to get rid of personality, and you have to get rid of likes and dislikes. Actually, both those men didn't have likes and dislikes. They didn't have desires. They didn't have attachments. They were doing God's will. And when you do that, people, they think, well, everybody's got some sort of motive, and if you're going to hide it, that means you're, you're being secretive. They're, your motives must be dark, not, not even something you dare bring out in the light of day. They can't understand that consciousness. The ego can't understand that consciousness. But it's the beginning of spiritual freedom. You've got to get rid of the thought that I am I as a human being. 
that I am only an instrument of God. You have to get rid of your likes and dislikes. Where you have to feel that what you do, bad as well as good, and the Yogananda said, give even the bad that you do to God. So that means that he, if you make him responsible, he can free you. But as long as you think this is me, you can't be freed. Swamiji, how would you describe or define ego consciousness? Ego consciousness is me consciousness. My mother one time said to my little brother when he was about three years old, <clears throat> something about that's my cup. He looked at her and astonished me. He said, not my, mine's me, Wobbert. <laughs> and uh, this is the ego. How do I figure I'm here and I've got my things and you've got... It's, the first the ego has to become aware. And this is why I say the sign of maturity is the ability to relate to other people's realities. Bob at that age couldn't, Bobby, couldn't understand that. And he was just trying to get a grip on it. He never did fully get a grip on it. He was quite, I remember years and years later, I was talking with somebody at a cocktail party, I just drank water, but my brother came over and said, what are you talking about? I said, philosophy. Oh, philosophy, yeah! And he walked away. He couldn't understand these things. But anyway, ego is the thought that I am separate from you. That uh, this little wave is not a part of the ocean which produced all the waves. If we want to know what truth is, we have to understand that this wave is only a manifestation of the great ocean of God. And the more we are attached to this body, to our likes and dislikes, the more we affirm, I am this, like people who say, well, as I always say, they're always emphasizing I, I, I. The thing is that in doing that, they separate themselves from reality. Masters don't have opinions. They have perceptions. Human beings have opinions, and they're usually wrong. That's the danger of democracy. The majority is usually wrong. The minority has a possibility of being right. Anyway... <laughs> The, the thing is, we've got to get rid of this thought that I am separate from what is. We must perceive things as they are, not as we want them to be. All of these delusions begin with ego consciousness. And the trouble with ego is that it also is the cause of all our suffering. It's because I think I am suffering. Animals can suffer, but not in the same way, because it's not that same thought, I am suffering, I shouldn't be suffering, I don't be free from suffering. Human beings suffer much more. And the thing is, I know that uh, uh, primitive human beings often don't feel pain very much physically. And yet, as they become more and more developed, they, their ego becomes developed, they feel pain intensely. And so it is, I've mentioned this before, when I go to the dentist, I don't take Novocaine because I feel a little pain never hurt anybody. It's a good thing to practice um, accepting pain and pleasure impartially. Don't say, oh, how wonderful, oh, sad. Just even-minded. And historians, being very worldly as a rule, they can't understand that. But it's the truth. You don't, when you're out of ego, things not, don't touch you. And yet you feel joy inside. 
That is the thing that you must remember. When you've gotten rid of ego consciousness, of I like this, I don't like that, and so on, when your mind becomes even-minded and cheerful, then you begin to feel the bliss underlying everything. Because in everything, behind everything, there is the bliss of God. Swamiji, can you give us other ways to get rid of ego consciousness? Well, when suffering comes, just accept this as God. I remember I was in a legal case one time and people were accusing me of all sorts of things. I just said, there's nothing I can do about it. This lawyer is doing his best to destroy me. I just won't get excited about it. I'll just let it happen. If God wants to destroy me, that's his business. My life is for him. If he wants to keep me, fine, I'm happy to serve him. But I found that I was completely even-minded through that whole scene. But we have to, in the face of everything, try to maintain our even-mindedness. Another thing is, when you see something that's beautiful, that you like, and let's talk of a sunset, because that's something everybody, I suppose, likes. I know some people are colorblind. I know this one man in Switzerland used to drive up in the mountains in the evening, in the late afternoon, so he could enjoy those beautiful brown sunsets. <laughs> but anyway, people basically like sunsets. And what do they like about the sunset? It's because they enjoy it inside. If you didn't have eyes, if you couldn't appreciate beauty, you would look at it and just wonder if it was an omelet or something. <laughs> it's because you have the ability. So your enjoyment of life is in you. It's not things that make you happy. It's you who make yourself happy. This is the purpose of yoga, too, to concentrate on the rising ida and pingala in the spine. That's your reactive process. And when you bring it within, then you can understand that your real happiness is in yourself. And then even the sufferings that you experience don't become suffering. They just become a means of withdrawing more into yourself again. Swamiji's um, coming to attunement again, <clears throat> do you have specific thoughts or did Yogananda give specific uh, ideas about how to develop it? He said that the body is a receiving set and a radio station both. He said visualize the Guru's eyes especially here at the point between the eyebrows. And then this is the sending station you might say. Then the receiving set is in the heart and mostly the physical, not the physical heart so much as the heart chakra and the spine behind the heart. And uh, so then in your heart, try to feel his response. And I've found, because all my life I've tried to serve him, and everything I do, I try to feel his presence. And I feel more and more that he is thinking through me. He is enjoying through me. And it's a very blissful feeling. It isn't that I'm becoming him, but in a way I am. This, I think, is what we should try to be so in tune. Master said about Master Mahashai in the autobiography of a yogi, this was the disciple of Ramakrishna, and he said Master Mahashai had reached the point where he didn't feel his thoughts were his own. Well, our thoughts are not our own anyway. But if you will ask the Guru to think through you, to act through you, you will find not only great freedom, but you will also find inspiration and guidance 
you'll somehow know what you should do. For example, when I've wanted to write a melody, I ask my guru, and the melody is there. I don't have to work for it. Or if I have a serious question that I want an answer to, I don't just work it out. I say, well, you show me. What is this? I need to understand. And he has helped me, sometimes in amazing ways. But I've just somehow understood what I should do, what was right to do, what the right answer was in this particular situation. That happened just recently. And uh, I found that it was very enlightening. I hadn't thought of that before. But the Guru's presence there is there to guide you all the time, not just when you're with him physically. In fact, sometimes people will only meet the Guru once. But his inner guidance has to be there if you were to achieve that final freedom.